Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorenda and I am a wife to one, a mom to eight, a nana to nine, and a 26-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm really thankful that you've joined me today. We're going to be tackling the topic of reading. It's been really fun because I've been doing, um, kind of taking each subject Let's talk about math. Now we're talking about reading. I'm going to be talking about writing. Um, I took a break from specific core subjects to talk about character growth, and that turned into kind of a whole series on character growth and discipline. And so I'm getting back to the more quote-unquote educational topics, and today's topic is reading. Before I dive into what I have to share today... I want to encourage you to check out um, a couple of my books, my simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling called The Unhurried Homeschooler, and you can find that at Amazon or at my website, DorendaWilson.com, and The 4-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, because my heart is to mentor homeschooling families so that they are actually enjoying these years. You know, we, we there's so much unnecessary, ridiculous pressure that's put on us as homeschoolers, you know, as parents too, but especially as homeschoolers. And I just want to set you free to do homeschooling and educating your kids in a way that actually works. That's it. That's you know that just really is a uh, I, I want to say symbiotic. You know where there it just fits like a glove. And I feel like that is possible for every homeschooling family. And so my my goal, my mission, my passion is to relieve unnecessary burdens and give you the freedom to walk this out in a way that your family can thrive in. And so I really encourage you to check out The 4-Hour School Day. You can find that at Amazon, any of your favorite booksellers, or DorendaWilson.com. If you have not signed up for my email list, my subscriber email list, again, go to DorendaWilson.com to do that. I have a once-a-month Zoom meeting where I'm just available to answer questions. And the cool thing about it is a whole bunch of other moms show up. I think yesterday's meeting, this month's meeting, we had probably 30, at least 30 moms there. And it's so great because moms are amazingly um, resourceful and encouraging. So as we're talking and you know the questions are directed at me, but other moms pipe in and say, hey, I've got something to add to that. And they bring a whole new like perspective to it. And I love that because I don't have all the answers. I have my own experience. And I have, you know, wisdom that the Lord's given me over the years. But, oh my goodness, so many of you have wisdom as well to share and to offer. And so um, I'm really excited about that once a month Zoom meeting. So if you are a subscriber, you get to come to that meeting for free. And you guys, there's something else going on that I, I just have to tell you about because I'm just literally just about to burst with excitement. So we are working on a community platform it's at Mighty Networks, where this is a private platform where moms like you who are interested in um, maybe just taking a more simple and unhurried approach to, to learning or at least learning what it looks like to make homeschooling doable for your family, a place to ask questions, a place to be mentored on a more personal level, because I'm going to be very, very present at this platform. We have um, also 
a whole bunch of really unique features that we are going to be offering that I'm going to tell you about later, but uh, it has a lot to do with hearing from my own kids about their experiences and how it's affecting their life now as adults. Um, it, it's it's just gonna it's just a super exciting project. We're hoping to launch it by April fifteenth, but I promise to keep you updated because it's going to be. Um, I just feel like it's going to be a great resource for those of you who, you know, you already enjoy my podcasts. You maybe read my books. Um, this is going to be um, just more, more for you to to glean from. And have that really personal connection with me and with other moms who have the same heart. So um, it's going to be called Simply the Simply Unhurried Community with Dorenda Wilson. Now, you know, just like a typical teenager with a great sense of humor, I'm riding in the car with my daughter and she says to me, I told her what it's going to be called. I said, the title, it's going to be called Simply Unhurried Community. And she goes, Oh, well, could we just could we just call it sock then? I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't even think of this. So, <laughs> so I was thinking about how so much of the time, you know, I would if I allowed myself to compare myself to some other homeschooling mom along the way, I would feel sometimes like I sucked, you know? And so I thought, well, this is really fitting. So if, you know, if 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 you feel like you know you suck as a homeschooling mom, we can just gather together and we can all suck together. <laughs> so I hope that isn't too crass, but I was literally dying. I I didn't even think about the the acronym there, but um, anyway. So there you go. Um, I may have just ruined the introduction to my podcast, <laughs> but I had to tell you that because I'm telling you, kids are so funny. They crack me up. Anyway, so let's talk about reading. Let, I just for the first thing that I've been asking when we've been going through these subjects are things like uh, basically very basic questions like, okay, who created math? Right? Well, at the end of the day, we really know that God did because God created humans and humans had that creativity and that compelling to 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 create numbers and, you know, all these different things, these algorithms and, you know, all all this all these, um, you know, you could tell I'm not a math person, right? You know, just all these different levels of math to help solve problems and things like that. It's not how I usually choose to solve problems, but uh, great things have happened from math. I will say that. Well, it's the same thing with reading. Like who created reading? So back in the day when um, the, the the Israelites would have the scriptures, um, you know, read to them, they had the Ten Commandments on the tablets, but other than that, they they really. Um, I think what I my understanding is that especially very early on, the Word of God was actually sung, and that's how they memorized it. I just thought that was such a cool fact. Um, so that's why you know the way that it's written is is really unique. Is that it's more like uh, more like singing. It, it was it was passed along from generation to generation through song. So I thought that was really interesting. But eventually, obviously, um, man came up with letters and things like that to to start to create sentences to communicate. And so at the end of the day, we know that God is the was the one who created reading. Ultimately, he did it through man, 
but it was meant as a blessing to us to be used by us for our good and for his glory, just like math and the other subjects, because we know that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? This is a way that we can enjoy God because guess what? We've got the scriptures. We get to go to the scriptures and we get to know our God through the scriptures, through the written word. So how does God want us to use it? This gift of reading. Well, it's to gain understanding and wisdom and direction. Reading is a way to connect. Authors help readers make connections through stories and instruction. We learn through reading, right? But I believe the number one reason, at least the number one reason I want my kids to learn to read is so that they can connect with their creator. That is the most important reason. Um, There are lots of other reasons underneath that. But at the end of the day, what I really want is I want my kids to know their God. And we can do that by reading his word. Now, I mentioned earlier that authors help readers make connections, right? Now, are there other ways to do the same thing? Absolutely. Like I mentioned before, that can happen through song. It can happen through just conversation. So there are other ways to make connections. Um, you know, we watch videos sometimes. My my boys get on YouTube videos to learn how to do things. Instead of reading an instruction manual or reading a book on it, they go to a YouTube video. And I'm telling you, those boys can literally conquer and fix almost anything because of this, because of YouTube, because they've learned all these things on YouTube. So there are other ways to make some of these connections. and But reading is important. We all agree that it's an important thing that we really want our kids to learn, right? It's a very basic skill that we want them to have. Now, should every kid learn to read? Absolutely. I think it's very, very important. Does every kid have to love reading? I don't think so. I don't think they do. I, I mentioned the boys who go to the YouTube videos. Those boys don't really love reading. They will read when they need to for something that's necessary, but they don't necessarily have a love for reading. And I just finally came to the conclusion that that was okay. What I realized is these boys especially are very math and logic-minded. So their, you know, their best skill set, natural skill set, isn't necessarily, it's not language arts. I notice typically in my kids, they favor one or the other. It's either math and logic type thinking, or it's uh, language arts, reading, words, that kind of thing, writing, and that sort of thing. And it seems to be like they're in one camp or the other. Obviously, we want to grow their skills because it's important for them to learn how to read. But I've got some stories to tell you and some some questions that I think are important to ask. Does it One is, does it really matter um, whether a child learns to read at age four or age eight, okay? We often hear that early readers will be better students. There is actually no real um, solid studies behind that theory. In fact, I think that forcing kids to read earlier rather than waiting until they're ready has done more harm than good. Have you noticed that literacy rates have decreased There are more struggling learners. There's more struggling readers than ever. So all of these, this idea that we need to force things earlier and earlier and earlier, 
I, I am just not on board with that at all. And I have reasons for that that I'm going to explain here in just a minute. But I noticed over the years, you know, as an older mom, I've had a chance to watch and see from the time that I was in school and over um, over the years, through the years, I have watched them move the um, the age for reading earlier and earlier, the age for so many things earlier and earlier. I talked about this in the math podcast. I learned my multiplication tables in sixth grade, and it was a struggle then. Even when I could understand the concept, it was still a struggle. Now they're demanding it around second or third grade, which, like I said before, it just frosts my cookies because there's no good reason for it, and it doesn't really match developmentally with where our kids are at those ages. So what I want to talk about in in terms of reading is we have to understand that the eye is an outward extension of the cerebral cortex. Teachers have noted that children who are six and younger are often not able to see well enough yet to read properly. In other words, their eyes are not developed enough. There's there's strong evidence that a child's eyes are not physiologically ready for continual and consistent reading until he is at least age eight or even older. Did you hear that? Age eight. Okay. So what's involved in the process of reading? Some experts say it's a simple visual process, but others say it's a much more complex process involving many parts of the brain and requires that these parts work together instantly and implicitly. The book Better Late Than Early by Dr. Raymond Moore had this to say. In order to understand what he reads, a child must be able to connect new thoughts with the things he has already learned. Then he must retrieve what he learned earlier from his memory and integrate it with the new information. So he's constantly analyzing and synthesizing or putting things together. He must also do this in learning math, spelling, and other subjects if he is to do an effective job. And the more abstract the material is, the more complex is the learning task. Some school children are unable to distinguish letters within words or parts of letters. For example, to some children, an F is not distinguishable from an E, or they do not see much difference between a P and a B or a D. So for a child to read well, he must be able to visualize the shapes of both letters and words. But to do this, he must be able to reason out their structure and retain them in his mind so that he can build other words on them in the future. Not until he can reason in this way can he read without strain. And this reasoning process does not begin to be consistent until about age eight or later. So I read this book and this particular information before we started to homeschool. And having worked with children throughout my teens and into my early 20s, I knew that what this author was saying was true. It resonated with my heart and with what I had observed. And I decided that we would take an unhurried approach, not only to reading, but also to schoolwork in general. But specifically, reading is kind of where it started. And that has literally changed the trajectory of our homeschooling journey. It is what brought us into 
uh, you know, taking a simple, unhurried approach to every subject and then into our lives and into how we were walking out our days. So, you know, a child um, just isn't developmentally ready on a consistent basis until they are eight years old. And so bearing that in mind, like I said, was really a game changer for me. But it's funny because even though I knew that, I knew that I had this information and I and I promised myself I would take an unhurried approach. When our oldest daughter uh, was showing me signs that she was ready to read because I decided that I wasn't going to start um, reading with my kids until they gave me very strong signs that they were ready. Um, things like they were asking to read or they were asking me what things said or they were asking me to read to them all the time and um, starting to get impatient because I um, I needed to finish some other things. And that was when I could encourage them and say, you know, if you learn to read, you could just read this yourself and you wouldn't even need me. You wouldn't have to wait for me. So Anyhow, so our oldest daughter, I think she was around six or I want to say six, maybe six and a half when she was really acting like she was ready. So we sat down and we started some short little reading lessons and she was just doing great. Like we did, they were like maybe 10 to 15 minutes a day, so doable. And she just kept making progress. And then all of a sudden she hit a wall and she was struggling. And I, she'd been doing so well up to that point that I thought, oh my goodness, she just needs, you know, she can do this. You know, I started kind of like pushing her and I could kind of feel something wasn't right. And I looked over at her and she had big tears in her eyes. And I just thought, no, I'm not doing this. So I looked at her and I said, you've done a great job. Let's just take a break from this. You go and play. And so I, I cut her loose and we didn't go back to it for a while because I had kind of dampened her enthusiasm for sure by forcing her to do it when she was struggling and it just wasn't a good day for it. So we waited. I asked her every day. I would say, hey, do you want to do a reading lesson? She would say no. And I would say, okay, that's fine. Eventually she wanted to go back to it. And, you know, she took it from there and she did great. And I don't even know how long it was. But I know that eventually she was reading very, very well, um, probably around age seven, and she she loved reading. And she actually was the one who taught uh, most of, probably at least three or four of our younger kids to read as well because she was so enthusiastic about reading and teaching them to read. So that's how that experience went. But a, here's what we have to remember is that a child can learn to read simply by seeing words like he would pictures. So he can read the words like stop on a stop sign, but without actually understanding what it means. So in those early years, they very well may not have the necessary experience to decode and process information in an allotted time. Then when they can't do things fast enough or well enough, they get frustrated and they think that they're dumb when actually they are bright, but just not ready. And so that day that I had with my daughter, she just wasn't ready that day. Maybe that particular thing wasn't working that day because she wasn't eight years old, yet it wasn't working on a consistent basis. And so I needed to let that go and give her the time and space that she needed. 
I'm going to read you another quote from Better Late Than Early by Dr. Raymond Moore. He said, To take a child through the experience of reading when he cannot exercise reasoning is an exercise in futility. Reading specialists often find that children who have been forced in this way to read at early ages become frustrated and lose their motivation. Frequently, they level out on a motivational plateau at about grade three or four. They lose interest. The great excitement for school is gone, and they may never regain their interest. So it's really important that we are paying attention to how our kids are doing as we're reading with them. We don't have to be paranoid. We don't have to be fearful. We may make a mistake like I did, but just it, I think as long as we're aware, it's going to help us stop sooner, pay more attention, and not allow um, that that interest to be lost because we have forced too much for too long. Some other great things I love about this book, Better Late Than Early, is that it cites many studies on how forcing reading too early and for any length of time can damage our kids' eyesight. Now, these studies are old um, because the book is old. I think it came out in the 80s. But I've lived this out, moms. And I believe that what they're saying is true. I honestly... Okay, maybe this may sound just a little conspiracy theorist, but I think a lot of times doctors get in uh, the same boat with educators so that they're all sending the same message and they're um, and they're helping each other out in that way and not but it's not necessarily in the best interest of the child. Now, I don't believe all educators are nefarious in their motivation. I don't believe that um, all doctors are nefarious. I, I just believe that they're both trained a certain way. And if they're not saying the same thing, then um, it makes them look bad. And so I don't believe that it is actually in the best interest of our kids to be forcing reading too soon. I have, like I said, I have lived it out with my kids. Now, I want to, when it comes to their eyesight, I know that eight kids might not be the greatest um, test group because, you know, it's just eight kids. But I want to share this with you because I think it's important. I can't say whether it's absolutely true or not, but I can say that, that, that the theory has proven true with our children. My husband is nearsighted and he has... Um, had glasses since about, I don't know, it was either first grade or third grade. And this is what Dr. Moore says. He says, when reading is forced too, at too early of an age, um, it causes the kids, it can easily cause the kids to be nearsighted. And he explains all the physiological pieces of it in this book, Better Late Than Early. But I, I am farsighted. So my husband's nearsighted and I'm farsighted. So we did not push any of our kids. We didn't rush them into any kind of reading at too early of an age. But given their genes, my husband's nearsighted. I'm farsighted. I didn't need glasses till I was in well into my 30s. It stands to reason that out of all eight of our kids, that some of them should have been nearsighted, right? Like some of them should have needed glasses like my husband did, at least in grade school. None of them have needed glasses, all of them have had excellent vision. 
Now, some of them are getting closer to 30. They're still not wearing glasses. They're noticing a little change in their eyesight, but they're not wearing glasses yet. So um, I think one of them might be just a little bit of the time, the 20, I think she's 29. But you guys, do you, do you see what I'm saying here? Like some of our kids should have gotten that gene, quote unquote, from my husband, but none of them did. And we forced none of them to read. So it's just kind of an interesting little example of what Dr. Moore goes into more in depth in that book. But I think what it comes down to, and, and I and I think this is one of the things that resonated with me as I read through all that those details, was that at the end of the day, what do I know about kids? What do they typically want to do at four and five and six years old? Did they really want to spend a bunch of time reading? Or is it something we kind of have to make them do? I think typically it is... of the time, something we force them to do or feel like we have to force them to do. What they really want to do is play outside. What they really want to do is build forts. And they want to do things that that actually are more healthy for them. So they're doing things that are, and looking at things that are more of a distance than reading requires. This is why it's so important for our kids to go outside. They, their eyes need, for the development of their eyes, they need to be looking at things that are far away. Not everything close up, like the screen and writing and even drawing. Drawing is great, but they need to be out doing things where they see, where their vision is mostly being exercised on things that are further away. And a lot of that is explained in the book, but I'm just sort of giving you a quick flyover of what what he has to say. And again, it came down to my gut feeling as a mom. What was my gut feeling? Well, let's do what what kids uh, want to do naturally, you know? Um, Maybe they don't want to read per se, but I could read out loud to them, right? They can draw a picture or they can be acting out what I'm reading to them, these are the things they really want to do. And so it just seems like we should be paying attention to, um, paying a lot more attention to that instead of um, so much of what we're told needs to be happening. Now, I realize that um, kids have dyslexia and sometimes, um, you know, we need to pay attention to, um, to someone who's really struggling. But here's here's my experience. I'm just going to speak from my experience. I felt like when our kids were younger, that if I sent them to school, particularly the boys, that someone was going to slap a label on them. Someone was going to tell me that they were ADD or ADHD because they're boys. Now, my boys were very well behaved. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that boys need to run amok but they need the freedom to be physically active. And I talk about this in my series on homeschooling boys in podcast number 14 to 17. Um, I will mark that in the podcast notes in case you want to reference that. I will also uh, put the title of that book that I mentioned in in the notes. I don't know how easy it is to find the book at this point, but if you're interested, I'll put the link there and you can try to uh, try to track it down. But I didn't want my boys labeled. I didn't want to assume that they had dyslexia. You know, like Dr. Moore mentioned earlier on, if they're trying to read too early, they cannot tell the difference between a B and a P, you know? And and my kids, quite frankly, 
wrote their letters backwards for quite a while. That is not an unusual thing. I'm going to be diving more into the topic of dyslexia in an upcoming podcast with my friend Mary Ann, who has homeschoolingwithdyslexia.com. And uh, she's a good friend of mine with uh, like eight kids and most of them have dyslexia. So we're going to be diving into that topic a little bit um, in, a, in an upcoming episode. So if you're asking, if your questions are floating through your mind about dyslexia, um, we're going to be answering those in an upcoming episode. But let's just go back to the basics about reading. Children really don't need to be coaxed into reading. When they're ready, they let us know. Like I mentioned before, when my kids got tired of waiting for me to read something to them, or they were asking me to teach them to read, and I got so comfortable with this waiting thing that as my kids, uh, as I, we had more kids and the younger ones were getting to the ages where they were um, you know, maybe able to read, they started asking to read, I literally waited until they were begging to read before I had my daughter sit down and start going through reading lessons with them because I wanted them to want it badly. And that was really, really effective. So um, another quick story that I want to tell you because I think stories are really powerful. Um, I know a friend of a friend whose daughter was literally 15 years old before she was really reading. Now, that doesn't mean that all along they were trying to get her to read. They'd broach the subject. She wasn't interested. You know, off and on, they would encourage or ask or whatever, but she really wasn't interested in really taking off and reading until she was 15 years old. Can you believe that? Well, here's the interesting thing. Guess what she does for a living now? She edits books. She reads all day, every day. It did not stop her from having a career. It didn't stop her from being a reader, clearly. So um, it's it's amazing to me. Um, this is this is a family who just, who chose a way more relaxed approach than I was would probably even be comfortable with. But it it really testifies to the fact that eventually, ninety nine percent. I want I want to say upwards of hundred percent of our kids will eventually see the need to read. And I think that's important to to note. You know, our kids need to see the need for it. And that's not going to happen by us telling them they need to read. It's going to happen by them realizing that reading is cool. It's a great tool to do the things that I really, really want to do. Like I said, there's along the way, there's nothing wrong with testing the waters, but we want our kids to want to read, not to be pressured into it. I was talking to our 19-year-old today, and she said, you know, you always had us read for a short time each day. And um, I gauged how much time based on what I felt like the, their temperature was when it came to reading. I, if, if it was, they really hated it, um, and maybe they were in third grade, I would tell them 10 or 15 minutes. You know, as they got older, I might ask for a little more time. I really was always trying to push that parameter just a little bit. It's more like encouraging <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that she noted was that I didn't push them to read on their own. You know, they had that time every day because um, I had them read and write summaries, so it's part of their writing as well, and I'll explain that in the next podcast on writing. But what she said is that we didn't push, I didn't push her to read on their own outside of that small assignment every day, but she said, you always were proud of us and made a big deal out of it when we did. 
Um, and so I think that's one of the ways that we can really encourage reading. So we had kids who wanted to learn to read and started to learn to read as early as age four. Now, obviously, that was not on a super consistent basis. It was when they said, I am ready to read. I really, 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 really want to read. And maybe we started with our little 10-minute lessons. And maybe they did it for a week and then took a week off. You know, if they really started to lose interest, we just took a break from it. At that age, you can totally afford to do that. Um, I've always was amazed, too, when um, our oldest daughter came back, I, I mentioned before the story about, you know, sending her off and then bringing her back. When she came back to start uh, reading lessons again, somehow she had made progress. Now, how did that happen? I don't know, except that she was ready for it. You know, it's just, it's amazing to me. Uh, learning is just usually not linear. It's like this, you know, we make all these little networks and eventually they start to connect. We just keep exposing and and uh, just helping build the networks. And then eventually, like I said, they make the connections, but they have to do it. Now, our, our the one who was the latest to read was right around nine years old. And guess what? He is my most voracious reader. He loves history novels and, and things like that. So it's just it's it's so vast and varied. I guess that's the point I'm trying to get across. Like it's it's not like by this age this needs to happen. By this age this needs to happen, especially in the early years, you guys. There is so much leeway. I can't even I can't stress it enough. What did we use to teach our kids reading? I wanted my kids to learn to read phonetically. And so a hundred easy lessons to teach your child to read is what worked best for our family. That doesn't work for every family across the board, but I know that that particular book has worked for most families that I know. Now, I had a mom who I absolutely love. She's like my Titus II mom, and she happened to homeschool her kids for several years. And one of the things that she shared with me before I even had kids was that um, her son— really wasn't into reading, but what really triggered reading for him was when he became interested in airplanes and flying and aviation, and then all of a sudden his reading took off. I never forgot that, and it really inspired me to be especially patient with our boys. And I did notice that pretty much all of our boys were older than our girls when they decided that they were ready to read. Here's the fact. Boys are often 6 to 12 months behind girls developmentally in the early years. So they often, they get the shaft. If they go to school and they're expected to do everything on the same timeline as the girls, we're not doing them a favor. What ends up happening is they're labeled early on and all it does is change their view of learning and of reading and of themselves. And we don't want that. Okay, so what if our kids still don't like it when they get older? So they learn to read, they're reading, you know, we're giving them that small little reading assignment every day. What do we do if they don't like it when they get older? Well, I love to tell Jake's story, and many of you guys have heard this before. He did not like reading or anything to do with language arts. We would take our kids to Barnes and Noble and 
let them all pick out a book every now and then, and he would always come back with nothing. There just wasn't anything interesting, Mom. I couldn't find anything. I'm thinking, we're in Barnes & Noble. Who can't find a great book in Barnes & Noble? But I just tried to not make a big deal out of it. You know, I'm praying about this because he's about 12 years old at this age, at this point in time. And I was like, Lord, what do I do? Do I push him? What do I do? And he just, I just felt like he kept whispering to me, be patient, be patient. And I kept thinking about um, my my friend's story about her son and how it just took the right topic for him, for it to take off for him. So I was hoping for that, but I was beginning to think it wasn't going to happen. Finally, one day we went to Barnes & Noble and he comes back to me and he said, Mom, will you buy me this book? And I'm just like, I mean, the angels were singing in heaven and I was just thinking, you know, hearing the hallelujah chorus and I'm thinking, what book has gotten this boy's attention? And so he handed it to me and it was, it said C++. And I'm like, what is this? You got to remember, like this was a long time ago. We're talking 15 years ago. So I didn't know what C++ was. He said, "It's it's a book on computer programming. And I'm thinking to myself, that sounds terrible. I would never want to read a book like that. That would be the last book I would pick up in this store. But then I began to think, you know, how can we, um, how can I use this to, in my favor and in his, for his good? So I told, I asked him, I just basically told him, I said, I'm going to make you a deal. I will buy you the book, but you have to read the whole thing from cover to cover. And he said, oh, I will. And I figured worst case scenario, his reading was covered for the next two weeks. We didn't have to talk about what it is he was going to read because he really wasn't fully enjoying anything that he was reading that I was giving him. So he did. He went home and he read that book. And then he read another one and another one and another one. That constituted most of his reading for the next few years. But you know what he told me later on? When he read that first book, he knew what he was made to do. And he is now a software engineer for Amazon. And so that was at 12 years old. Fast forward four years later, he started college. And I'll tell more of that story when I talk about, uh, when we talk about writing, because there's a whole story attached to the reading story that I need to, to tell you about. But he found something he was passionate about. And that is what helped him um, want to read more. Now, again, I feel like boys who are more logic and math oriented often just don't enjoy reading. And There are other ways that they can read. One of the things that I did as our kids got older, if they they didn't enjoy reading, um, I would streamline reading in their their schoolwork. So Jake didn't love reading, but he was really loving these um, computer programming books. And I knew that it was feeding something. It was giving him life and it was feeding something towards his future. So, um, and and just the fact that he was enjoying him, I think that was the most important thing. So I um, would, even in high school, we would streamline his other reading so that he could spend his, his sort of reading quota on the things that he loved. So I did this with a lot, of, a lot of my kids because a lot of times in high school, when you're trying to meet certain credits, there gets to be too much going on. And so you, if you streamline your subject, so what I did was I would, you know, he'd read his history lesson, but I counted that as also part of his reading time as well. So it, it kind of did double duty there. 
The other thing that he found as he got older, he still does not necessarily love reading, but he will listen to audiobooks and he's seen the benefit of gleaning from books, but he prefers to do it in the audio version as an adult. And so that's another alternative for our kids uh, when it comes to, you know, to reading. So it's nice if our kids like reading or love reading, but it's not a necessity that they're voracious readers. It's it's just not. You know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that oh, I have to make this, I have to cr- make sure that this kid is an amazing reader or he won't be successful in in education or in life. That is simply not true. That is simply not true. Our son that uh, the software engineer, he went to college, he did massive amounts of reading, but he was working towards a goal. So if they're passionate about what it is they're trying to find out what it is they're trying to learn, a goal that they've made for themselves, they will do whatever it takes and there won't be any stopping them. So our kids will read what's important to them, what relates to their lives both now and later. And you know, we do the same thing. How often do we actually read something if it's not interesting to us or if there isn't a real reason for it? So more is caught than taught. We model this for our kids. Much of what shapes our kids and their ideas about things have to do with what we model. So if we're stressed about them learning to read, they're going to feel that and associate negative emotions with reading or any other kind of learning. This can often make them even more resistant because we're sending a message that reading is hard and it's stressful. And this is why when we create an environment early on of low to no pressure when it comes to learning to read, and we maybe read aloud to them in a cozy, relaxing, fun environment, a little uh, tip for reading to boys, give them something to do with their hands or let them hang upside down. I mean, my boys would read hanging upside down, but this is the beauty of homeschooling is that they don't have to sit in a chair and read. They don't have to sit in a certain position to read. They can do whatever they need to do to to read, to, to be able to pay attention, to be able to concentrate. And often boys need more than one thing going on at a time in order to learn. Probably would have been maybe labeled ADHD. Now, let me just stop and say, I know that ADHD and ADD are real things. They're real struggles. But I do think that some of our labeling should not be happening, especially at such an early age. We need to give our kids time and space and let them sort of walk it out and figure it out on their own. So we want to create a cozy, relaxing, fun environment for reading. We just, overall moms, we just need to relax And let reading come naturally and organically because it will come. We can't let fear drive our decisions when it comes to anything concerning our kids, and that includes reading. So what does this require? Well, it means that we are going to have to silence the voices inside and outside that are telling us that our kid has to read by a certain age because truthfully, those rules are arbitrary. And the word arbitrary means based on or determined by individual preference or convenience rather than by necessity or, get this, the intrinsic nature of something. We want to flow with the intrinsic nature of learning that our kids have. Our kids 
our kids come to us wanting to learn. From day one, they start mimicking us. We teach them how to talk. We teach them how to walk. We teach them how to eat with a fork, right? We do that. How do we do that? Do we do that by having them read an instruction manual or reading an instructional manual to them? No, it comes through relationship. It comes naturally. It comes organically and in and via the intrinsic nature of our children, where they are developmentally. And this is why, moms, you are the best teacher for your kids. Because you know, if you're tuned in and you're a student of your kids, you know when they're ready for something and when they're not. You can read when they're struggling. You, you can look at their faces and know. And so I always encourage moms, be mom first. You know, homeschool your kids from that nurturing nature, that nurturing heart that you already have for your children. And the teaching and the learning will happen naturally. You know, I just need to say, it is convenient for the system, the school system, to tell you that there's something wrong with your kid if they don't fit the quote unquote norm, because that would indicate that you are inept and that uh, and that you need them to teach your kids. Now, again, I don't believe every single educator has a nefarious motivation um, in teaching, but can I just say that this is how teachers are trained. They are trained um, that they are the professionals and the experts and that the, the parent really doesn't know what they're doing. And this has caused, um, I, I believe it's come between the parent-child relationship. And, and that is not something that is biblical, nor is it something from the Lord. And I, let me stop again and say, there are some amazing, wonderful teachers who are huge blessings. So I don't want to cast a big shadow over every single teacher, but the system is broken. The system is a system. And it is, ba- I believe it's based on and rooted in Some things that are pure evil, I'm just going to say it. If you do any kind of history on the public school system, you're going to find some pretty scary things in there. And it's been a progressive thing over the years. If you look at the uh, National Education Association and their um, framework that they're working from and their mission, and if you read through that, it's frightening I read, you know, I did a actually did a paper on this in high school, and that's the reason that I even have any kind of knowledge about this. But I think it's just important for us to understand that there is there is something to that. There is something to wanting parents to feel inept. And I'm here to tell you that you are not inept. I don't care if you have a college degree or not. I do not have a college degree. I have a high school diploma, but I love my kids and I will do whatever it takes and have done whatever it takes to get them the education that I believe is the best fit for them. And for us, that was a simple, unhurried approach. And I can tell you all these years later, 31 years into parenting, 26 years into homeschooling, that it has been a huge blessing for our kids and it has been a huge blessing for our family, not only to homeschool, but to do it in a way that was that was child-led for much of it. 
and 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 this is just there's so much. <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm just going to say read the 4-hour school day. It will put all of this sort of in perspective. There's so much to talk about. I could just go on and on and on. But at the end of the day, we need to learn to trust our instincts. In my book The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple mercifully short book on homeschooling, I said this. We taught our kids how to sit up, walk, talk, and eat with utensils. So why do we freak out when it's time for them to learn to read? I think part of the problem is that we have too many voices trying to tell us too many things. This creates doubt in our hearts that we are able, that we are capable of teaching our children when it's much more likely that we are the best teachers possible for our children. Another book that I love is John Holt's book called Learning All the Time. And I want to share with you really quickly a very interesting little excerpt from it. One of the things that he talks about is whether you're a gifted five-year-old or a terrified illiterate 12-year-old trying to read something new is a dangerous adventure. You may make mistakes or fail and so and then feel disappointment or shame or anger or disgust just in order to get started on this adventure most people need as much comfort and reassurance and security as they can find moms we can provide that through that wonderful setting that I mentioned earlier just reading out loud and making it a fun relaxed cozy environment the typical, he goes on to say, the typical classroom with other children ready to point out, correct, and even laugh at every mistake. And the teacher, all too often, wittingly or unwittingly, helping and urging them to do this is the worst possible place for a child to begin. This beginning happens best at home. He went on to talk about a school near Copenhagen where there was no formal reading program at all. No classes, no reading groups, no instruction, no testing, nothing. Children, like adults, read if and when and what and with whom and as much as they want to. But all the children know it is not announced, just one of those things you find out by being in this particular school, that anytime they want, they can go to Rasmus Hansen, a tall, deep-voiced, low-speaking teacher who for many years was the head teacher of this school and, and was also a specialist in reading. And they know that they could go and they could grab a book and they could say, will you read with me? And he will say, yes. The child picks something to read, goes with Rasmus to a little nook, not in not a locked room, but a cozy and private space, sits down right beside him and begins to read aloud. Rasmus does almost nothing. From time to time, he says softly, yeah, yeah, implying that's right, keep going. Unless he suspects the child may be getting into a panic, he almost never points out or corrects a mistake. If asked for a word, he simply says what it is. After a while, usually about 20 minutes or so, the child stops, closes the book, gets up, and goes off to do something else. One could hardly call this teaching. Yet, as it happens, Rasmus was trained as a reading teacher. He told me that it had taken him many years to stop doing one at a time, all the many things he had been trained to do, and finally to learn that this tiny amount of moral support and help was all that children needed of him, and that anything more was of no help at all. 
The other thing that John Holt goes on to talk about is that the maximum amount of hours that Rasmus needed to quote unquote help the children, and and you heard what kind of help he was offering, the max was 30 hours. And many, many, many of them were far less, some even none, and they learned to read on their own. And so I say all that to encourage you that reading does not have to happen at a certain age. When your child is ready, they will learn to read. Relax and enjoy the process without fussing about arbitrary timelines. But I'm going to warn you, watch out. You may find yourself loving the simple, unhurried approach to life and homeschooling that our family has not only loved, but benefited from in countless ways. Moms, freedom is yours. You are free to homeschool and raise your kids in the way that your heart is longing for. Throw down the unnecessary burdens and enjoy this adventure with your kids. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of reading. Thank you that we live in a literate society, that all of the moms who are listening right now know how to read. And the fact that they know how to read is enough to qualify them to teach their children how to read. More than that, this love that they have for their children, this nurturing heart that they have for them, Lord, help each and every one of them to tune into that and move away from the arbitrary rules and expectations and instead hone in on their love for their children and just being a student of their children, being willing to watch them and be tuned into them and be engaged with them. God, give these moms the confidence and the courage to to move forward trusting you, trusting that instinct to learn that you have put in our children. God, I pray for joy and just huge blessings over each and every mom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.